Good. I'm uh, Grandpa Steve. Uh, welcome to all those who are watching online, and thank you for our live stream team uh, for stepping in and stepping up and being part of that. Um, just really excited about the opportunity this uh, today to just talk about some books that I found. I'm a bit of a history buff, and so I was wandering around in one of the stores here in West Bend, and I saw this. City of West Bend, uh, Images of America, and I was like, oh, I got to snap that up, and lots of pictures, which was good for me. Um, very enjoyable to see the history of West Bend. And then uh, I just finished this one. This one's called Farm Girl, and it's uh, by a woman named Buena Coburn Carlson. She's 96 years old and grew up in Plum City, Wisconsin. Where's Plum City? No idea. Pierce County, it's over near Eau Claire. And a wonderful, wonderful story about the hard life of living in the Depression and being raised in the Depression and walking two miles to school and the wildflowers and the crops and the canning and all those different things. And so it's a wonderful story. And I loved, loved reading about that, reading that. And so I'd recommend that to you. For this summer, um, as part of your reading as well, I want to invite you to consider reading this. And we're looking at the book of Numbers, and you might be like, as Troy said, Numbers? I'm not even sure where that is in the Old Testament. And so one of the things that I'd like to invite you to, a problem that I've discovered with me, is that I don't get to Numbers, which is the fourth book in the line of five books of Moses, I never get to it because if I start at the beginning of the Bible and start making my way through, I get to like the third book, Leviticus, and it's like, done. I can't take this anymore. It's the same thing over and over again. And so I would like to propose to you a, a reading plan that I'm, I've been using for probably 30 years now. And what it does is it takes the genres of the Bible and it breaks them up. And so like the first segment would be Genesis, and then you'd go to Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Job, and then to one of the major prophets, Isaiah, and then to one of the Gospels, Matthew, and then one of the epistles, Romans, or two of the epistles, in fact, Romans and First and Second Corinthians. And so this is a way to kind of break it up a little bit so that you can get to the book of Numbers and enjoy the book of Numbers instead of getting to Leviticus and saying, nope. Stop. All done. So that's on the back table out in the, uh, in the entryway. So want to take a moment and talk about numbers. What do you know about it? It's a book about a group of people who were coming and following God and making their way across a desert. But I think what we have to do is we have to put numbers into perspective with the rest of the five books of what we call the Pentateuch or the books of Moses, or the Torah, those five first books of the Bible. And so I'd like you to take your Bible, if you would, and I'd like us to just kind of give this book a little workout, okay? A little workout this morning. If you start with me on page one, Genesis, the first book of the books of Moses, it's a book about beginnings, and if you read the first chapter, or the first verse on page one, 
of our Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created. And so there's the start. And we're off. And we're running. And if you just turn the page to page 3 and look at verse 15, you'll notice that within a very short time, the creation, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And now we have a problem. And so the rebellion happens, and notice what it says in verse 15. I can't even see it. Man. Oh, let's see. I, three, 18, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here's God speaking to Satan who had tempted Adam and Eve. And here he is pointing to the rest of the work that will come from Jesus Christ. He will whack you on the head, Satan. And you might nip at his heel. You might, he, we might allow you to have him crucified. But he will come back and be resurrected someday. And he will smack you on the head. And so what we see is this promise of a coming reality that starts with the very beginning with the rebellion. And then there's a man named Abraham. And so if you look at page 8... Chapter 12 and verse 3. Abraham has this promise made to him. I will bless you, God says. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. It's another promise. A promise of a coming redeemer. A promise that is coming through Abraham and his heirs. That will be a blessing to all of us. Who is that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from the very beginning, we're pointing to this coming Savior who will save us from our sins. Well, Genesis finishes with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, moving to Egypt with 70 of his relatives. And so the, the book of Genesis finishes with the, the family of Abraham living in Egypt. Exodus, if you look with me at Exodus, that's on page 40. Exodus begins about 400 years later. That 70 people who lived in Egypt now are almost 2 million. And Exodus is a story about just that, exiting. What happened was the people of Israel became so numerous that they were a threat to the, to the leadership, the, the government of the Egyptians. And so they enslaved them and made them their slaves. So for about that period of time, about, uh, about 100 years, they had been in slavery and it came to the point where God raised up a man named Moses. And so Moses, through some different fits and starts, leads the people out of Egypt. They're delivered from that slavery, which is a metaphor for the slavery of sin. And God takes them and takes them out. Now the thing that happens before he takes them out is something called the Passover. Do you remember the Passover? That, if you turn... We see on page 48, 
that God introduces the Passover and the people celebrate the Passover. And what that is, is every family of the nation of Israel sacrifices a lamb. They put that blood over the lintel of a door and the death angel passes over. If I see your faith, if I see that blood, I will pass over you. So the Passover is instituted and that night the people of Israel are spared while the nation of Egypt suffers loss after loss after loss. And the people of, of the Israelites, they go out the very next day and they make their way and they flee out of Egypt. And so you have this beautiful picture of deliverance because of sacrifice, because of blood, of going out. And so the people make their way, and they cross a Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground, an amazing miracle. And by chapter 19, they get to a place called Sinai. They get to Sinai. And at, <clears throat> at chapter 19, to, through the book of Leviticus, which is the fourth book, this whole part is their time of being at the mountain of Sinai. And so they have gone from slavery to freedom to making their way across the desert to the, Sinai, the, the, the mountain of Sinai. And there they will receive the law of God. God shows himself to his people. So Genesis is beginnings. Exodus is freedom from slavery. Leviticus is like a handbook for the Israelite priest. That's why it's hard to get through. And then we come to Numbers. Now, the title for Numbers comes from the Latin word arithmi. But you know, there's only numbers in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 26. There's a census taken in these first two chapters. And so Numbers really isn't such a great title, I don't think. I like better the, the title from the Jewish Bible, which it's called In the Desert. In the Desert. And that's more appropriate is a walk with God in the desert. A walk with God in the desert. And so what we have is we have this story of these people who received the law of God at Mount Sinai, who are implementing it, and now we're going to follow God as he takes them to the promised land. And that's where we're at. So I would like to just have you to have a, just a moment for a turn and talk. Is it easy, is it easy to follow God? Is it easy for these people to walk off into a desert and follow God in faith? And so I'd like to read this little illustration and then let you talk about it. So we set out from Mount Sinai with great confidence my wife and I, we were following God and we're confident in our leader, Moses. He was a godly man. God had shown himself to us on the mountain. And we followed the cloud of God for several days. I had stored water and leather skins, but all the skins were empty now. But one last one that was running low. Through the desert heat, though the desert heat was unrelenting, my oldest boy faithfully carried on his shoulders one of the youngest lambs from my small flock of sheep. The lamb was faint. 
We had not seen water for three days now. My wife, who was carrying our youngest child, hurried and caught up with me and pleaded with me to find water. Find it soon. I glanced at her and I said, Am I God? That I can produce water for you? It was that moment that I stopped and I looked back. I realized there was no going back. We would die of thirst if we turned back to our last water source. We could only go ahead. But where ahead of us was water? I felt anger bubble up in my mind and my heart. God, did you bring us into this desert to die of thirst? At once, I sensed a response to my question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I looked at my wife again. The very evident distress on her face showed her great concern for our children. So take a moment, turn, talk. Questions are at below. What similar pressure are you facing right now? Has God ever shown himself to you and asked, do you trust me? Take two or three minutes. Okay, if I can invite you back, good conversations. I'm, I'm so glad that those are happening. I want to go to our next slide. The Apostle Paul said this about these very people, and I want to put this in, in contrast uh, together. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 12, Paul said this about the people who were making their way across the desert. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. 
They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil, as they did. Next slide. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down and to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And we should not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. It's for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I think it's easy to throw stones at the people who were walking through the desert and who were following God. I think it's easy unless you did that turn and talk and you think about what it was like as God was taking them through what was pretty much like a boot camp, a time of testing. Can you trust me? Can you walk in the desert and I leave you without water and without food for a period of time? Will you follow me or will you turn on me? And Paul is saying here, the temptation for us as God manifests himself is to turn on him and to run away from him and to sin against him. And our challenge today that I'd like to encourage you with is when God manifests himself, let's respond well. Let's respond well. Let's do like we see here in this, these first few chapters of Numbers because they respond well. They do these things. They're quick to obey God's word. They let God be the center of their life. They walk by faith. And they invite God into everything, especially into their partying. Let's talk about this together, but let's pray. Jesus, would you open your word today? And as Troy said before, would you help me to just get out of the way? Thank you so much. We love you. And it's in your name we prayed. Amen. We first should start with a map. Next slide, please. And here's the map of, they're starting from Goshen. They're making their way across that that desert region there to Canaan, which is the promised land where uh, Abraham had formerly lived before and then had come down, or, uh, and Jacob had lived, and then they came down to Egypt. And now they're returning to that promised land. And there's a map there at the far side of what that looks like today and what countries belong to that, that area. Um, if you've seen the Sinai Desert there, it's like the moon. It's rocks and dirt and mountains, and there's not much on it. And so it is very stark, very stark indeed. Next slide. So our first big idea is let's be quick to obey God's word. just want you to notice this from chapter 1 in Numbers. If we read the, this first, uh, first verse, the Lord spoke to my, Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. 
He said, God said to him, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to number by their divisions all the men in Israel, 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army. They're mustering their army. And so they're taking this census. One man from each tribe, each the head of his family, is to help you. These are the names of the men. And then you see that in the rest of your listing on that first page. But let's look at the end of this next slide on verse 17. Moses and Aaron took these men that had been named and specified, and he called the whole community together. What day did he do that? The very day, the first day of the second month. So as, as soon as he got the message, he did it. He responded in obedience. As soon as he had it. Now that's a big job to number two million people. That's a huge undertaking. Well, maybe I want to think about it a while. Maybe I want to put it off for a while. Maybe I don't really want to get to that for a while. But Moses immediately starts the work. He's quick to obey God's word. Look at another example. If you would notice, uh, next slide, verses 20, and that you see this as you look at your Bible, you see this right down that each tribe from the descendants of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, all the men 20 years older or more who were able to serve in the army were listed by name one by one according to the records of their clans and families. And what you'll notice if you, turn, if you look at that page and then you turn to page 42, it's the same phraseology for Nephtali, the very last tribe. All the men 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army were listed by name according to the records to their clans and families. All Moses is showing us is we're going to do exactly what God told us to do. And we're going to do it exactly for each tribe. Each tribe being accountable and responsible to the covenant that God is making with us. Let's go on. So the next, next idea is, if you look at chapter 2, um, you'll look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, on the east. Verse 10, on the south. Verse 18, on the west. Verse 22, on the north. What God is doing is he's designating places for each tribe to be around the tent of meeting. Next slide, please. So here it is. Here's the circle. And this is what it might have looked like, an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like at that time. And notice that at the very center is the temple, or I should say the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent that Moses was instructed to build. He built it, and inside of it was an ark. Uh, it was a, a box about yay big with poles. And inside of that box was the law, the, the Ten Commandments on stone, and Aaron's rod, and some of the manna that they had been eating were all inside of that box. And then on top of the box, there were two angels that were like this, bowing. And at the very center between that, that, those angel wings was the manifest glory of God. The Shekinah glory. And so the presence of God was there with the people. And in fact, that presence was so powerful, so amazing, that Moses couldn't be in the tent at the same time when, it, when that presence appeared. 
That Shekinah glory, that presence is what now is allowed in us to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So you want to ask yourself, why does God want to be at the center? Why does he not want to be an afterthought in our lives? Because he is God. How dare he? How dare he butt himself into my life? How dare he demand his authority in my life? How dare he hold me accountable for how I act and what I say? How dare he? He's God. He's God. You can't treat him any other way. And so when he manifests himself, our whole response is, let God be the center. It's what Jesus said, if you remember, he said this, you shall love as the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's not tepid. That's not, well, when I get around to it. That's leaning in, isn't it? And so God's demand on these people and on us is that he would be the center of everything. He's going to put himself at the center of your life. And if you ignore him and you push him back, he's going to, he's going to back off. And he's going to leave you to your devices. Let you choose how you want to lead your life. I'm here for you. I want you. Sorry, God, too busy. Don't want to. And pushes them away. He wants to be at the center of your life. His picture here with putting the tribes on either side demonstrates his desire to be at the center. Let's go on. Chapter 9, got to fly along there. Chapter 9, uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 15. That's on page 102. The walk of faith. Next slide, please. So on the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. The cloud covered it. They set it up. They followed exactly God's instruction. And all of a sudden, this cloud appears above it. And as I said, in the inside, the shine of glory is there in such a way that the priests can't even go inside the temple because God is there. Can you imagine standing at the door of your tent and looking out there every day at that center point? That tabernacle and seeing that cloud, there he is. There he is. Or at night, the fire being showing at night because the cloud was replaced by fire. There he is. There he is, manifesting his presence to us. Next slide. So at the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometime the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only for evening every evening till morning and then it lifted in the morning and they set out whether by day or by night whether the cloud lifted they set out whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month 
or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they camped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. What kind of following is this? Isn't this like our own life? Lord, I want a road map. I want you to tell me how long I'm going to live in, live in West Bend. I want to know if I'm going to be here for three years, six months, and two days. And then I'm going to move on to another job in another place. I want to know what it is. I want it in big letters in the sky. And he doesn't do that. He leads us just like this with a cloud. Follow me. Can you trust me? Can you trust me? Can you put your faith in that I know best for you, that I can lead you well, that I love you? Next slide. Paul the, uh, the apostle says it but like this, not having righteousness derived from the law. In other words, being a law unto myself, am I going to follow God? No, not really. I think what I'll do is I'll tell him, I'll give you, I'll come, I'll come and see you once in a while. I'll come to church Ah, a few times a year. I might volunteer for something, might not. Ah, not really interested. That is having a righteousness that I define, that I make for myself. I'm going to tell God how I'm going to follow him. And that's not faith. That's not the walk of faith. Look what Paul says later in that, in that same verse. But that which is faith is the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If God says it, I do it. In faith, that which is through faith, the righteousness that comes, and that word comes is not even in the text. And so what it is is when I respond in faith, righteousness. There's not even a stop. It's like that. And so the walk of faith and following God is, I hear I do, and his righteousness is mine, covering me with his righteousness. It's instantaneous, and it's dependent on my faith in what he has said. Can I believe him? Can I trust him? I can. I can. We can. Next slide. We finish up by talking about this passage in Numbers 10. Fascinating, in the first verse he gives us two trumpets. The Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camp set out. So the sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land and against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you'll be remembered by the Lord our, your God and rescued from your enemies. Also, at your time of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and your new moon feast, you're to sound the trumpets. Isn't that amazing? God at the festivals, the, 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 the festivals that they had, the feasts that they had every month, he wanted to be acknowledged, not forgotten about. I don't know about you, but what I struggle with is sometimes I have time with God in the morning. And then get to the evening and I don't even remember him through the course of the day. And the purpose of the trumpets here is bring him into that experience. 
Bring them into the celebration. I loved what we did this morning. The kids were having so much fun. We were laughing. We were shouting and hollering. And the next thing we do is we prayed. It was awesome. Invite God into our fun. And Gaia, invite God into our party. Because it says there, at your times of rejoicing, wouldn't it be amazing if while you were buying a car, you turned to the car salesperson and you said, could we pray and give thanks to God for this? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? The happiest moment where you're buying a new car and you turn to the person and you say, let's pray. Let's thank God for this. I don't know how I have the money for this, but let's praise him. Right? Invite him in. You're having a fire around with some of the neighbors. Invite him in. Don't forget about him. Don't push him to the side. Let's invite him in to our party. Because he's a partier. He has feasts and festivals. God showed himself. And the people responded well. He manifested himself. And he, they showed themselves well. They were quick to obey God's word. They put God at the center of their life. They walked by faith. And then they invited God into everything that they were doing. Especially their partying. We want to be those kind of people. As God shows himself in our lives, let's follow. Let's obey him. Let's listen. Let's invite him in. Let's lean into him because he's great. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful. Thank you again and again and again that you show yourself so well. We love you. Thank you. And it's in your name that we prayed. Amen. Yeah. Steve, did you also have one of these pictures from the, the thing? The, the bingo? Yes, it was in there. I didn't, you don't have to show it again. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. <laughs> okay, good. <clears throat> um, what we're going to do now is we have another slide. Steve has just a couple questions for us to process through. Now, you can pick any one of these questions. The reason, again, the reason that we do this is because we want to try to engage in what we just heard. Because the chances of us leaving this place and going, hey, let's talk about numbers at lunch, you know, probably may not happen. So I want to give you a chance to just turn and talk for just a couple minutes, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. So, so take one of these questions, find someone near you, and, and have a, just a brief discussion about this and try to apply this in our lives. Then I'll come up and pray for us.
Thanks for having some conversation about this. I'm, I'm sure you got through all three of those questions, didn't you? Got through all three of those. No, uh, one of the things that I want to end with is this is a, there is actually a unique time of partying that's going on right now in this season. That is because we have young people in our midst that are graduating. If you're graduating from high school or college, can you stand up at this time just so we can thank God for you? Let's thank God for our graduates. We're proud of you. You can, you can stay standing. Uh, why, don't you, why don't the rest of us stand? Why don't the rest of us stand? And if you're around one of these graduates, you can just put your hand on their shoulder. Um, I want to bless them. But we think about inviting God into, into everything, including our partying. Uh, you know, those of you who are having uh, graduation parties, let's invite God to be a part of that party. Amen? All right. So let's, let's pray. Family, may we be quick, quick to obey God's word. May we have God at the center of our lives. May we walk by faith and invite God into everything, especially our partying. Father, I pray that you'd bless those in our midst who are graduating and opening in this next season. Father, we pray that you would go before them just like you did as we read in Numbers, in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Would you go before these young people in our midst? Father, would you help us to live these things out today for your sake and your glory as we navigate the road trip that each of us is on, that you've got us on. We pray that we would fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, as he goes before us. We pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen, amen. If we can pray for you after the gathering, we'd love to pray for you here. Otherwise, we'll see you next, uh, next week. God bless.